Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pesaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Andy Fleming. And joining us today on the show is... Greta Yasser, a PhD student at Lifana University and a research associate at the University of Hildesheim in Germany. She's a fellow at the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right, as well as at the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism, and her research focuses on far-right and misogynist online networks. Thanks for joining us, Greta. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I guess just to begin with, why did you start researching the far-right and misogynist online networks, and what's the nature of your research? I started researching the far-right during my undergrad already was really one of my of the first topics that interested me when I found it quite curious how the European New Right incorporated a Marxist thinker like Antonio Gramsci into their political strategies. So as a BA student and now as a trained political theorist, I was always interested in ideologies and how they manifest. And as a PhD student now, the alt-right was in its heydays when I started my research there. And I wanted to dig deeper into their ideological background and quickly realized, mainly thanks to Alex Dubranco, who was on the show a few weeks back, I think, that including the analysis of male supremacy was inevitable if I wanted to understand the far-right, and especially the manifestations online, as misogyny is such an important component of the alt-right and of online cultures. So I started researching male supremacist and far-right ideologies together and how they intersect, and I also included the man sphere into my analysis. I conclude network analyses of hyperlinks between websites mainly, and then I also do qualitative research of these pages. And then a second uh, thing I'm interested in is all tech websites, but that might be for a different day. There's a, a lot of sort of uh, weird terms that get thrown around when we have these discussions. I thought it might be helpful to sort of define a few of them. So what is the manosphere? The manosphere, and to start this off, maybe I will be generalizing some points to make this easier to understand, because the manosphere, as most social movements and organizations, is really complex. It's a network of networks, and there's more nuance to it than I could fit in a 30-minute interview. So the manosphere itself is a conglomerate of websites, blogs, and forums, and that is united strongly by anti-feminism and misogyny beliefs as well as hostile sexism. The manosphere is largely self-identifying as such and I think that's important to mention because in my line of research very few people self-identify as far-right or let alone as a neo-Nazi. Those are the very extreme cases. For the manosphere however this is quite different. The websites and the forums usually see themselves as part of the network that makes up the manosphere. So you might think of these groups as different reactions to the same diagnosis of a society and this diagnosis is that modern societies are stacked against men and that often feminism or some other sinister force 
is to blame for the situation that men find themselves in today. That might be economically, that might be regarding their sexual or romantic situations. And it is important to remember that members of the manosphere perceive themselves as victimized and as deprived of something they feel entitled to. Another term that's used a fair bit in these discussions is the red pill. Can you tell us what is a red pill? The red pill goes back, or this meme of red pill, which is actually became goes back to the movie The Matrix, where the protagonist is offered a blue pill, um, which will send him back into oblivion, or taking a red pill, which will open the eyes to the reality around him. So when someone says they had quote, taken the red pill, that essentially refers to a moment of ideological learning. So that is the accepted diagnosis of society, which explains how society as a whole and they as an individual are today. So when people refer to taking the red pill, they mean that from their point of view, they can now see society as it really is and what structures it. And for the manosphere, that is often a belief that feminism or some other force ruins society as it should have been. And for the far right, this usually refers to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And what about associated terms like men going their own way and incels? Can you uh, elaborate a little on those terms? So men going their own way, or MGTOW for short, they claim practices separatism from, from women in general. And they, and I quote, vow to stop pursuing romantic relationships with women to focus on self-development and preservation. And... What they share with other groups of the manosphere is that they perceive the society to be stacked against men and favoring women in almost every aspect of life, what the manosphere calls a genocentric order. And MGTOW then proclaim that they are stepping out of this order, as indicated by their name as going their own way. Now, that seems like an individualistic and harmless reaction to a society they perceive as unfair at first. But reactions by Callum Jones, for example, from Melbourne University, as well as colleagues, showed that MGTOW is heavily engaged in what's called passive harassment. That means that it hasn't, this harassment hasn't got one single target, but multiple potential targets like given offensive or sexualized nicknames or posting offensive messages in chats or forums. And this type of harassment always naturalizes misogyny. Part of your research is looking at the relationship between misogynist worldviews and far-right worldviews. What is that relationship and how does the far-right attempt to recruit from the manosphere? Yeah, both misogynist and far-right worldviews are rooted in a belief of superiority. For the far-right, that is often white supremacy and for misogynist worldviews, these superiority is rooted in uh, sex and gender. And of course, there's often an anti-Semitic trope in there as well, but I will focus on the former two for today. Both then presume that there are natural hierarchies and that these hierarchies are meant to order society in a racist or a sexist way. And if this is the starting point, if one believes that things aren't how they ought to be and that society took a wrong turn that is depriving men or white men respectively of what they perceive to be rightfully theirs, a sense of aggrieved entitlement follows from this. And it is true for both white and male supremacist movements. They also both share a moment of ideological learning called the red pill. So when someone accepts society that it isn't as it should be and that it was better in some imagined version of the past, but also, and this is important, that most members of society don't see this truth, this reality, that opens them up to a way of conspiratorial thinking. That red pilled um, people possess some knowledge that others don't. So both ideologies are similar and highly compatible. Sometimes mobilizations from the far right make it to male supremacist forums, like for example, when a white supremacist trolling campaign was promoted and discussed on a MGTOW forum in 2019. For direct connection, and there's not a whole lot that can be said. Some consider the manosphere to be a recruiting ground for the far right. And I would say that they cross-fertilize one another on an ideological level and that racist attitudes are common throughout the manosphere and vice versa. But we're still lacking 
bigger systematic studies for this notoriously elusive field. There's some anecdotal evidence, like some prominent figures. For example, Christopher Cantwell, who became well known for the Voice documentary on Charlottesville, and he was active in the manosphere before. And then there would be a prominent pickup artist who now says he abandoned PUA um, because he found new faith, but he holds strong anti-Semitic views and subscribes to a number of right-wing conspiracy theories. In situating your analysis of the far right and misogyny, you draw upon Gramsci's work on ideology and the notion of common sense. Could you briefly explain to the listener how you define ideology and explain what part common sense plays in hindering or helping the promotion of far right ideology? Yeah, sure. This will get a little technical, but I try to keep it brief. So ideologies, very broadly speaking, and I draw from Cass Moody here, are normative ideas on how people and societies are and how they ought to be. Now, where Gramsci comes in, and he's best known for his work on cultural hegemony, is the notion that ideologies are always embedded in historic context and related to the societal hegemonies. Gramsci, so to speak, made a transition from seeing ideologies as mere system of ideas to ideologies as being lived and as being social practices. That is, they encompass the unconscious dimension of experience and the working formal institutions as well. So hegemonic ideologies are taught and learned throughout institutions, that's schools, that's universities, that's churches or families, and they become common sense within society. Now for the common sense, which is another rather specific Gramscian term, Gramsci identifies common sense as a sediment of what constitutes experience. That means prior and current ways of thinking and also of acting. Common sense then determines what resonates with parts of societies. It says what makes immediate sense to people because they're used to a way of thinking uh, or a way of acting. So in our society, the belief that there should be hierarchies and that there are hierarchy hierarchies that structure society does make immediate sense to a lot of people. For example, that men are more capable of logical thinking than women. And the same would go for racist stereotypes and prejudice. Sometimes they're subconscious, but they do structure still our way of thinking. So my point is maybe to make it short that the far-right that far-right and male supremacist ideologies don't stand in isolation, but there are extreme expressions of beliefs that are held throughout wider parts of society and therefore resonate with this society. In the past few years, there've been we've seen an uptick in the number of far-right attacks, and I guess subsequently there's been a shift in how seriously the far-right is taken by the authorities. In the past few years, we've also seen a rise in the number of attacks relating to incel or misogynist ideologies, but some would argue, and I suppose I would count myself amongst that number, that uh, these groups are still not taken that seriously. Uh, what do you think that is? Or do you think that is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do agree with you. And firstly, I do have to say I'm not a terrorism or criminology scholar. Um, so this is more an impression that I'm getting from studying the groups and the topics and not necessarily the terrorist attacks. I do think both uh, male and white supremacist attacks and violence are taking more seriously now than they were a few years ago. So Texas, for example, recognized incels as domestic as a domestic terrorism threat. In Canada, an incel-related attack was just pursued uh, under terrorism charges. However, neither far-right nor male domestic terrorism are taken seriously enough. They are often treated as singular instances, and we often have this lone wolf rhetoric, when sometimes their whole network's involved in either radicalizing, and if we look at the German NSU in supporting, in providing material support to some of the attackers. Then especially for male supremacist attacks, they're often conflated at just being incel attacks, even when there's little evidence that the attacker is actually an incel. And male supremacism 
is still a concept that only just makes its way into academia and beyond. It is also an ideology, if we look at the latest German terrorist attacks in Halle and Hanau, that integrates with white supremacist views that often take center stage in the manifesto, so it's easy to overlook the male supremacist component. Speaking of the Hanau attack in February, you recently co-authored an article for the International Centre for Counterterrorism at The Hague about that attack. Uh, many people attributed it to incel ideology. What did people get wrong about the Hanau attacker? I think people, and especially because there was time pressure and the interest was high in making sense of this devastating attack, um, got a lot, lot wrong about this. What I want to say before this is that the Hanau attack was devastating and I don't want to overemphasize the perpetrator because many people are still hurting from the love of loved ones and um, the city of Hanau, I assume, is to what I will say though, because similar attacks are bound to happen at some points, is that academics and journalists, we were too quick in assigning incel traits or, or saying that the perpetrator was an incel. So in his manifesto, the shooter mentioned his lack of success in dating women, but it was also riddled with conspiracist thinking and misogyny. He had multiple pages in his manifesto titled as Topic Woman, and he did highlight his frustration with women and that he didn't, that he hadn't had a relationship in 18 years. That, of course, is very likely very akin to what we read on incel forums. But it is important to differentiate between incel terrorism and other misogynist domestic terrorism because... Blanket labeling any violent misogynist as an incel does not help when we're trying to understand misogyny and its potentially deadly consequences. Male supremacy and sexual entitlement, while present in both incel forums and in the manifesto, are much more far-reaching throughout society and also online cultures. So in order to avoid trivializing how deeply misogyny and male entitlement and white supremacy remain entrenched in our societies, we have to get past any simplistic labels, and that includes that of incels. In terms of the response to the attack, I know from the white supremacist and neo-Nazi angle, what I saw in the immediate aftermath was, you know, he, he immediately joined the pantheon of white supremacist saints. There were people saying, you know, I'm praying that this guy is white, that this is not some sort of Muslim Islamist terror attack. This is one of our guys. How, how was the attack received in the manosphere? Yeah, we did, or rather my colleagues, uh, Megan Kelly and Ann-Kathrin Rotermehl, who study the incel communities in much more depth, uh, looked at this, and they found that incels often react to these mass violence, acts of mass violence, and the Hanau shooting as well, by celebrating the attackers as saints or as heroes. They tend to speculate whether the killer is an incel uh, when the first pictures appear, so based on his looks and also based on the targets. And the forums often um, see an increase in users after an attack. But also, contrary to celebration of the attackers, there's uh, groups of incels that interpret the attacks and then the media reports that link inceldom to the attacker as a further reason for victimization and being misunderstood when there's no actual basis for it. Now, the incel identity itself centers around the concept of victimization and is not being seen by others. So when someone label is labeled an incel without evidence, some incels claim that this is further proof that they're at the bottom of a perceived societal and sexual hierarchy and therefore will be blamed for any of society's ills. For other parts of the manosphere, I would need to refer you back to my colleagues from the IRMS, many of whom are keeping a very close eye on different groups of the manosphere. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to Greta Yetha about the manosphere and the far right. The attack in Hanau came a few days after German police thwarted a right-wing extremist plot to attack a number of mosques. 
What do you understand is the relationship between anti-Muslim and anti-Jewish sentiment and terrorism? And do you think that the far-right actors responsible for such acts are working in concert with one another or in opposition? And to what extent do you think the two are compatible, that is anti-Muslim and and anti-Jewish sentiment? So over the last decade or so, we have seen a number of terrorist attacks that were either motivated mainly by anti-Semitism or by Islamophobia. But I'd say we see an ever stronger convergence of those two um, ideologies, at least in parts of the far right. And there I don't see a friction between them, but that they're complementing. If we remember the terrorist attacks of Breivik, for example, he made it clear in his manifesto that his predominant issue were Muslim migrants and that he had no problem with Jewish people, or so he claimed at least. He even pointed to Israel as a potential model for what he saw as a problem of Romani people for whom he suggested a state. Of course, this idea of displacement and rootlessness that he identifies with Muslim immigrants is itself a very traditional anti-Semitic argument. And then with newer terrorists, this argument, among other things, has given way to an ideological synthesis that accuses Muslims of waging, and I quote, a war against the West and of being agents of a conspiracy belief denominated as the Great Replacement. The Christchurch terrorist attack, for example, was influenced heavily by this particular conspiracy belief. And in some interpretations of this conspiracy theory, it identifies it as a Jewish conspiracy orchestrating, quote, this Great Replacement. So yes, I'd say anti-Muslim and anti-Semitic sentiments Uh, and conspiracy beliefs can act in concert with one another. And this isn't just limited to terrorism. So after 9-11, a large portion of the far right moved towards identifying Muslims as their prime targets and Islamophobia as their tool of choice. Some of these, some of parties especially, toned down their anti-Semitic remarks and changed their stance on Israel so they would fit better with a pro-Western narrative. And there was a source of some tension within the far right. So between the more populist elements and the older social revolutionary guard. For example, if we look at the French uh, Front National, where this was quite um, exemplary. Over the years, however, Islamophobia got much more refined, if you will, and adopting more conspiratorial tropes and narratives and coming closer to the idea of a secret network planning the demise of the West. But this time in form of a Muslim conspiracy theory, what we previously saw mainly as anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. This took another turn, I'd say, in the last five years, when anti-Semitic conspiracies, and to be clear, they never went completely away, but they sprung up again with new force to explain the refugee crisis in Europe following this re-emergence. And starting from the fringes, moving ever more to the political center, the synthesis of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, as I've laid out, became a lot more popular. This new ideological synthesis even allows for a compartmentalization of prejudice. So a foreign politician, as a foreign politician, you can claim to be an ally to Israel and you can allege all kinds of conspiracies by George Soros at the same time. And precisely this ideological synthesis has worked its way into the manifests of some lone actor terrorists. There's also recently been a number of reports of documenting the presence of neo-Nazi cells within the German army and police. If what unites the extreme right and male supremacists is a defense of what they believe to be a natural hierarchical order, how concerned do you think citizens should be about these sorts of ideologies circulating among these uh, particular armed bodies of men? Well, I'm, I as a citizen myself, I'm very concerned about it, partly because they are, they are armed, yes. And then there are reports that military supplies in Germany have gone missing, and it was alleged that these might have found their way into far-right groups. So this in and of itself is very concerning. 
What concerns me more and on a different level, however, is the racist policing we see not only in the US, but outside the US and in Germany as well. You've also written a bit about QAnon. Uh, we've explored QAnon all around the world, but how has Q manifested in Germany? Yeah, it uh, had quite an uptick recently and quite early on, Germany and the UK were the countries outside of the US where QAnon uh, could take some roots and where communities also developed around this conspiracy belief. The German magazine, magazine Der Spiegel estimated that there are several tens of thousands of QAnon followers in Germany. And there's also QAnon-adjacent Telegram channels with over 100,000 followers. Now, the real surge in QAnon activity is very much linked to the anti-lockdown protest this year. And this is also when the phenomenon got a lot of media attention. And here in Germany, the lockdown protests, but QAnon as well, seems to be overlapping with the German version of sovereign citizens, so-called Reichsbürger, who claim that the current German state is illegitimate. In Australia, a similar phenomenon would be the free man of the land, I think. So this part of the conspiracy scene in Germany seems to have shown a great openness towards the cure non-conspiracy narratives, as far as I can make out from rather anecdotal evidence. But the full extent of QAnon support in, G in Germany goes far beyond just the Reichsbürger. And they are very, very visible throughout the lockdown protests. I'm glad you brought up the Reichsbürger, because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to pronounce it. <laughs> Obviously, in the United States, it's a very partisan conspiracy theory. Do you see that playing out in Germany as well? Not necessarily as much, because, of course, in the US, it's very strongly linked to Trump. And there is some Trump links from German QAnon to forcing Trump and what he stands for, but especially in the lockdown protests, there's a lot of esoteric groups and people involved as well. And they might be from a rather green and ecological background, but also susceptible to QAnon conspiracy theories. And of course, the anti-vaxxer movement, which I don't know a whole lot about, but they are traditionally in the US as well, at least adjacent to QAnon conspiracy beliefs, as in protecting children from whatever harms they imagine uh, are being done to them. So I wouldn't say it's as partisan. I would place it firmly in the right for the conspiracy and what it stands for, but it's not as partisan as it is in the US. Another element of QAnon is that it has sort of deeply anti-Semitic roots. I mean, mm. just the, the blood libel updated to, you know, adrenochrome. In Germany, where anti-Semitism has maybe taken a little more seriously than in some other places, has that affected how it's been received? I can't give you a very clear research answer on that, this, but rather um, another anecdotal one, I think. And that would be that I think blood libel, what we do learn about it at school, it's not a thing that's super present all the time. And I'm not 100% sure how much the blood libel aspect of QAnon actually found its way into the German QAnon conspiracy theories. I would need to dig a little deeper into those. But there is um, so what is strong is the assumption that there is some of the Pizzagate type of pedophilia rings that they say had been discovered. There's multiple prominent German figures, so like a prominent cookbook author and TV chef and uh, a musician who all started to subscribe. Some not openly to QAnon, but very QAnon adjacent beliefs. What is it about TV chefs to this stuff? <laughs> we have one of those as well. Are there more QAnon TV chefs? We've got a uh, Pete Evans, uh, who's probably one of the more famous Australian. Television oh, right. People. I heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. This one is a vegan, probably not even TV chef, but a very prominent vegan cookbook author and chef. Mm, something in the mushrooms. Greta, in terms of the social reproduction of common sense in contemporary Western societies and the ways in which this 
understanding facilitates the growth of a misogynist far right, to what extent should those concerned by these developments want to fundamentally reform public institutions? Um, In other words, along with opposing far-right movements and misogynist movements, should attention or how much attention should be paid to the role of major institutions of state and society in generating red pill moments? Thank you. This is a very complex question to which I have a very short answer, which is yes, of course. Um, None of these movements emerge in isolation from society or from institutions, and especially if we're talking conspiracy beliefs from an institutional viewpoint, the more people experience insecurities and fears, like we have with COVID, like we had in the 28 financial crash, the more susceptible people might become to those conspiratorial narratives, to the far right and to male supremacy, which are ideologies that make sense of the modern state of society. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Greta, thanks so much for joining us. If people want to uh, follow you on Twitter, you're at Greta Yasser. That's right. And people can also find your work at the uh, IRMS website and the uh, CARR website. Uh, Andy, Global Intifada is up next. We'll catch you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. Auf den Straßen, sie klatschen, sie schreien, sie genießen und sie tanzen. Es rührt von allen Dächern aus den Fenstern, aus den Gassen. Jetzt ist das eine Mal, dass alle Seite verblassen und verlange keinen Grund, das mit uns zu tun. Es jetzt anders zu machen, ist doch schon Grund genug. Also schieb die Zweifel weg und beginne mit dem Lachen. Wer packt schon seine Sachen mit den Händen in den Taschen? Reiß die Türen auf, alles ist im Aufbruch. Ein Tauschbruch für neue Ideen und Pläne. Lauf los, brauch bloß zwei Lungenflügel, Luft, um abzuheben, loszulegen. In vollen Zügen loszuleben Wir wollen den Staub der Straßen inhalieren Wir wollen den Lauf der Dinge irritieren Strapazieren, was andere zementieren Treffen den Ton immer tapizieren Die Stadt neu, als wäre sie unser Wohnzimmer Lass alles liegen, lass alles los Wir sind viele, wir sind groß Wir bilden Banden, lassen raus, was in uns wohnt Trouble Orchestra klopft an jeder Haustür Wir holen dich zu Hause ab, wissen du willst raus hier Wir finden immer neue Band. Jetzt geht das endlich raus, Fernseher aus, etwas Adrenalin Sieht die Rauchzeichen, guckt die halbe Stadt, singt das Lied Geben Kohle aus, statt zu verdienen, wir haben nix Doch sind gerade verliebt, dass sie Picknick denn das Nötigste mit Wir bringen Kompass, Konfetti und die Lösung gleich mit Du brauchst gerade so ein Hit, die halbe Straße kommt jetzt mit Nimm die Sonnenbrille, Schal und die Badehose mit Denn wir stecken nicht an, helf in der Hand, setz in den Brand, das lässt Land Wir pennen im Strand, Handy empfang, endlich verarscht in die Menschen sind da ich hol dich ab in deinem Garten, wo du wohnst, wir sind viele, guck uns an, Ameisenstrom. Wir hoffen auch zu wissen, dass die Wahrheit uns verschont, nein, wir wissen, dass die Melodie der Wahrheit in uns tobt. Lass alles liegen, lass alles los, wir sind viele, wir sind groß, wir binden Banden, lassen raus, was in uns wohnt. Trouble Orchestra klopft an jeder Haustür, wir holen dich zu Hause ab, wissen, du willst raus hier, wir finden immer neue Wege, atemlos.
Hi, Man's here from the Japarong Embassy. On October the 26th, after two and a half years of defending sacred women's country, the embassy, family, friends and supporters were forcibly removed from country by Victoria Police. The Andrews State Government, alongside Major Roads Projects Victoria, have begun their violent attack to desecrate the sovereign lands of the Japarong to make way for the duplication of the Western Highway between Buangal and Ararat. There are many old growth trees, one significant tree in particular, a 350-year-old yellow box gum, the Directions tree. She's a placenta tree who holds the DNA of the Japarong ancestors. She was felled by a chainsaw at the hands of a government that is asking for a treaty with its first peoples. The embassy and its frontline protectors are calling out for your help. To find out more, including how to get to the embassy to help defend on the ground, visit the Japarong Heritage Protection Embassy's Facebook page. Educate yourself, donate to their chuff campaign, and spread the word. 3CR supports the Japarong Heritage Protection Embassy. No trees, no treaty. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR.